And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. Ladies and gentlemen out there in the world, this is not your usual host, Mr. Jason Hunt. This is Mr. Timothy Harvey stepping in. Jason is out on a gig, and I have been swamped with various things. I have not had a chance to write the blackening review that I wanted to write, so I thought I'll just talk to you about it and open up the idea about horror comedies. Um, the I'm a big horror fan, if you've, if you've paid attention to several of the H2O podcasts, episodes where we talk about horror or good morning multiverse on saturday mornings i am the horror segment guy and and one of the things that's we've talked about a lot with the idea of comedy and horrors of course they have the same beats we'll talk more about that um as we dive into this but thank you for tuning in we hope that you are having a great week so far this is a holiday week the fourth of july um, this is a pre-recorded segment. This is going to come out on the Wednesday after, um, but uh, hopefully you had a good holiday. And if you're listening to us as opposed to watching this, you're watching listening to us on one of the various podcast platforms. We're pretty much everywhere, except we're about to not be on Stitcher because Stitcher is wrapping up its services the end of August. If you are currently a subscriber to podcasts on Stitcher, Start looking for them on other platforms. There are they have a nice little uh, how to to uh, export your list of podcasts to other platforms so you can not lose your episodes or whatever. However, you want to keep that because some of us like me who are big podcast listeners, uh, we have a lot of different podcasts on a lot of different platforms. It's nice to have to consolidate them, but you can also check us out on the various social medias. You can join our Discord. You can leave us comments, you can leave us chats. Of course, this is a recorded version, so unfortunately I don't have the ability to interact with you live here. But if you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear them. And uh, you know, the various video platforms, you can have a place to leave those there. Um, YouTube, Odyssey, Rumble, Twitch, Kick, all the different places. And we look forward to hearing from you. And if you're a fan of any of the films I'm going to talk about today, uh, I'd love to hear what you think about them. Or if you've never seen them and have questions, happy to answer them. All right, folks, so let's just dive right in here. Okay, so the whole thing, the whole... <laughs> when Jason said he had a gig, and he's like, you want to step in? What are you going to talk about? I'm like, well, you know that review for The Blackening you keep reminding me about that I haven't had a chance to finish? It's just the world getting in the way it happens. We're all familiar with that experience. But I got a chance to see The Blackening in theaters for a preview with a full audience. And if you're not familiar with the film, the premise here is a bunch of college friends reunite after, you know, a decade apart, and they go out to spend, you know, a weekend out in the woods in a cabin. Well, it's a really nice, you know, Airbnb type place, but it's essentially a cabin in the woods. And when they get there, things go a bit awry. Somebody wants them dead. Well, the entire cast is black and there is a trope a very old trope in horror that the black guy always dies first and of course the tagline for the poster is we can't all die first this is a film that is coming in with a very knowing glance at the tropes of horror 
very much recognizing that it is leaning into some of the the ongoing just uh, tropes that are okay so the thing about tropes is that tropes are both good and bad right tropes are a way of shorthand we talk a lot about shorthand on, on our various shows here because storytellers only have so long to get that information about characters or situations across to you whether it's comic books or novels or well, less so in novels but even there and tv and and podcasts and radio and, and whatever and so they give you a bit of shorthand and a lot of times that can be you know selling you the idea of, of who this character is by describing them as you know well we, we make assumptions about about people and professions so you got a, a lawyer or a businessman or an auto mechanic there's all these different uh perceptions that we have when we hear those job descriptions about the kind of person who who has that job and of course this is all built on our own perceptions and prejudices and things like that but it's one of the things that, that when you're telling a story you are able to take those various tropes those various sort of shorthands and and give your uh help you tell your story and the thing about the blackening is that they're, they're very keenly aware of what they're doing here because you look at the kind of characters that this film has in it you've got the lawyer the ex-boyfriend, the gay best friend, the 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 friend who parties too hard, the one who always has drugs. They they play on they lean into these tropes uh, right from the get-go. And um very knowingly, very much aware. And that's one of the things that a lot of horror comedies are able to do is because you're going in expecting both, you know, the standard horror model uh, as well as the comedy model. There's both of them have shorthands in their storytelling. So so basic premise here is you have this group of people who are getting back together after all this time. They've been apart. Um, you know, they've stayed in touch, but it's like so many other things. You leave college, you get separated from the group of friends, and they're all getting back together. And everyone's excited and everyone's having, you know, just really thrilled to be together again. Well, the folks who've actually set up the actual uh, experience at the cabin, uh, we, we see them in the intro of the film. And they discover a room that was previously, uh, you know, it was this locked door and it's fine. It's a rental place. These, there's that sort of thing happens. And inside is a game room. And there's a game called The Blackening. And it's, um, it's presentation is just a touch racist. Uh, it leans very much into old school racism. And one of the things that this film really does extremely well is that it is going to hit the audience with the obvious uh perception of you know the kind of um cliches tropes and also it ways it can make you a little bit uncomfortable intentionally and of course it's something that horror does anyway whether through mood um you know music and, and tension and that sort of thing but context matters. So you have this group of friends who happen to be black in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the woods, and they find themselves dealing with a situation which is specifically targeting the fact that they are black. And that's that extra layer. And these are genre savvy uh, people. So you actually have them recognizing the fact that this is something that is leaning into the tropes. You, we can't all die first, right? 
so your basic premise here is that here they are getting together they're going to have this good time and one by one you'd think they'd get picked off uh it's a little more complicated than i don't want to get into spoilers because this film is still playing in theaters and it's done really really well now let's talk about numbers for a minute its total box office at this point is 15 million in this era of 250 million dollar films where you've got to make you know 800 million a billion dollars to make back your budget horror has that really nice advantage of not having to do that most of the time most horror film budgets are very small compared to most blockbuster you know big hollywood hits the budget on this film is only five million dollars they've already made back their budget the film has made a profit as far as i can tell now of course it's hollywood accounting you never know um plenty of films in theory have you know made their budget but you know somehow didn't turn a profit but um the the fact is it's still playing in theaters and you can still check this film out i would encourage you to actually see it with an audience because like so many horror films and comedies being in the theater with a live audience experiencing that together uh, the the moments in a horror film where you jump and the more moments in a in, in a comedy where you laugh and of course combining the two you get both um you those that's the kind of thing you can it really enriches the experience seeing with an audience not to say you can't watch it at home and you're probably going to have to because this is one of those films where they kind of make you watch it twice the first time with that audience you're going to miss dialogue you're going to miss things that follow the funny line the audience reacts sort of scary line of the audience reacts and then someone immediately says something afterwards um much in the same way that if you're like watching something like airplane or the naked gun movies where the jokes just keep coming you're gonna miss them the first time around so this is definitely something where i'm really happy i saw it in the theater with a live audience um and i it's gonna be one of those films i'm gonna watch again at home because i know i miss dialogue i know i miss jokes that you just couldn't hear because you were laughing too hard and the audience was laughing too hard and you know, for all that we've been through in the last few years, being out and being with an audience for this kind of movie, uh, especially horror comedies, it's it's a worthwhile experience. This is something to check out in the theater. And if there's one thing that you've seen, it's an interesting film in, in a couple of different ways. Not only is it a, you know, because it's a horror comedy, but also because it's a horror comedy that's that's in many ways presented through the lens of being a mid-20s or late-20s uh, African-Americans. And yet it is also very accessible to everyone else who is not mid-to-late-20s African-Americans. There's two, there's a multiple layers happening here in this story. Um, you've got your horror, you've got your comedy. Comedy's top layer. Horror underneath that, but you've also got social commentary which horror is extremely good at doing. Horror has been making social commentary as long as there have been horror films. Uh, you go back in the 1980s, you know, the invention of the slasher, all of those films were making social commentary. There's a whole lot of commentary about Reagan's America uh, going on in those films. You know, it, they live, of course. The Thing, 
Uh, I mean, all of these films are are not just working on on the level of being scary movies or tense movies. They're also talking about various and sundry things. John Carpenter has built an entire career, and he's been very, very vocal about a lot of the things that his movies are kind of about, even when they're working as horror films. The Blackening is doing that as well. It's looking at the contemporary experience of being, uh, you know, a young, younger, I'm 50. I'm 53. They're definitely younger. They're half my age. Um, you know, the experience for African-American women, African-American men, and how that is impacted by the tropes that go with horror uh, and the impact that has on their experience as quote unquote victims in a horror movie. Right. But at the same time, it's also the, the, the things that they're talking about are not just limited of course, to the black experience. It is a very accessible movie. If you haven't seen it and weren't thinking this movie is, you know, it's not, you're not the target audience, you might not be, but don't let that be because you're not black, because this is very much a film that not only is very much speaking to a black audience, but it's also speaking to a wider audience very effectively. Some of the things that they reference that I don't have experience with, I've never played Spades before. For example, it's a plot, it's a big plot point in the film. But you understand very quickly what they're talking about in terms of why it matters whether or not a character in the movie has played spades or knows how to play spades. It's the kind of thing that translates well beyond any particular game for any or any for any particular group of people. Um just, you know, it's just a different name, it's a different thing. Um, and one of the things that I think really works really, really well for this film is how accessible it is. Even if you don't know the specifics, it's a commonality of experience, um, which, you know, in many ways is what you want out of a horror film or a comedy, even if it is got a specific target audience that it is primarily targeting. It's not limited to that. And I think that's one thing that as a genre fan, um, we have so many different kinds of stories that are being told with just so many different different creators who come from so many different walks of lives that there's just almost, you know, there's almost too much to consume. Uh, you know, certainly, you know, we've talked about this, Jason and I have talked about this on H2O a lot, is the fact that there are, there's almost too much stuff for us to watch. There's too many TV shows. There's too many movies. And sometimes you you end up going, okay, this speaks to me, right? Um, but, and that only makes sense. But a lot of times you can miss the opportunity um, that something that, you know, you don't have experience, it isn't your wheelhouse um, comes to bear. And and this is one of those films that if, if you've been on the edge of that, um, I definitely uh, encourage you to check it out. It's especially if you're just a horror fan in general, it's very knowing towards horror. It's very knowing towards the tropes of horror. Uh, Tim Story, the director of the film, uh, grew up on horror films without even realizing that he was a horror fan. These, are just, these were just the films that were around when he was growing up, and he hadn't really thought about himself as a horror fan until he sat down to work on this film, and he realized how much he really did appreciate films like Halloween, and and the modern films like like us and get out um which of course you know both you know jordan peele's us and get out 
have been films that have very much been, you know, in, in many ways, featuring Black characters that are universal, um, you know, just because the in the history of horror, um, and there's a really fantastic uh, uh, documentary out there that you really, really should check out. Uh, it's called Horror Noir, Horror Noir, uh, History of Black Horror, which is a very entertaining and very informative um, history of, you know, black characters and creators and, and talent in film for you know, the last hundred years or so and how influential they have been, how important they have been and how much you may just not have noticed. Um, and of course, whether you're familiar with the black exploitation films of the 1970s or your exposure to the black horror has been, you know, with Jordan Peele and, and films like Get Out and Us. Um, it's really uh, a really nice, deep, rich exploration of an entire part of I'm definitely a more unsung uh, side of, of the history of horror. And of course, you know, Keith David, Tony Todd, you know, some of these actors who are, are really iconic in the genre field, of course, are black horror stars. Uh, and, uh, and definitely, you know, definitely not the only ones. But um, there is a, a recognition of what makes horror films uh, appealing to you know, not just black audiences, but just general audiences. Um, the majority of the audience that I saw the film with was black and definitely um, things that I might have missed. Um, uh, I was able to, to figure out, okay, aha, that's a joke. Um, because it's a reference to something that I don't have experience with. That was really kind of cool. Um, if you've followed along anything, you know, with, with some of the shows we do here, you know, Foreign Bodies is a show about foreign horror. I, one of the reasons I love foreign horror films is because I don't understand all the details. It's a chance for me to learn. It's a chance for me to, to discover the culture, discover what makes things scary for you know people from countries i've never been to and languages i don't speak and cultures i don't i didn't grow up in um and it's the same thing here really it's the kind of stuff where you know okay i don't get that reference well oh okay now i understand right um but yeah so your basic premise here i've rambled a bit <laughs> digressions sort of on topic but um the, you know the friends come out here they're 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 they go out to the um go out to the cabin in the wood it's a very nice cabin it's it's you know high end very very posh um and you know a couple of their friends have gone missing and they're don't, don't even realize they're gone this is standard trope kind of thing for horror uh they, they the the friends who the friends who first discovered the game are the ones who've gone missing and the friends who arrived later also discover the game and discover that they are trapped and being stalked by an antagonist and one of the things that is um critical to their survival is determining the which of them is the blackest and what was kind of interesting here is that you have this discussion of what does it mean to to be black in 2023 in america and it's again if you're thinking this isn't necessarily 
speaking to me, uh, this is this is an old discussion. This is the no true Scotsman, um, which in my family Scottish. We have funds for this one. This is this is the purity test. This is you know well you know. Real horror fans, real genre fans, real comic fans, real, you know, we've, we've, we experience this in the genre world all the time. It's somebody saying, you know, well, you're not really a fan if you don't have, you know, if you haven't seen this anime or, or read, you know, this, this, you know, graphic novel or whatever it is. Um, very rarely are we put on the spot and told that, you know, we have to, we have to prove our bona fides or we're going to die. But that's the premise here. And while they are definitely, you know, again, leaning into the the tropes of horror and and you know the idea that the the black character always dies first, um, it's it's an old discussion, um, and it's one that's that's very much, you know, hasn't gone away. We we still talk about this. You know, you can see it in politics now. Uh, well, you've seen it in politics for a very long time, but very much in politics now the idea that you know if you're not this or that you're not really you know this political party or whatever it is um it's it's very much something that we all experience uh no matter what group or or culture or whatever um and making the core part of the threat to be able to, to prove that you are you know the most of whatever you are um you know could you do that and then that's what these folks are being uh put through um and a lot of the comedy falls in here too because of course it's the banter between friends um it's the specific cultural references um you know oddly enough the tv show friends um becomes a very important part of this discussion and you wouldn't necessarily think so of course friends are very notoriously known for having uh pretty much no black characters in the show that, that's not entirely true there were a few and that's also a plot point it's it's a very very clever script and one of the things that works very well is that it doesn't forget that it's a horror film as well as being a comedy and we'll talk more about how horror and comedy work together and why some of the best ones actually do work the way they do but leaving aside the idea of story beats that whole um setup punchline release um setup kill you know the this it's the same model uh it, well actually both of them are set up punchline and release um the the idea of a lot of horror comedies is that the underlying horror film isn't really a horror film. It's a framework to hang a bunch of jokes on. Oddly enough, the blackening evokes very much a lot of 1980s revenge horror slasher films, if you're familiar with them like Valentine's Day. Um, it has, a, in many ways, a very solid horror film structure it is very much the put the characters in danger in a legitimate way and yet find ways to make that funny um, and to find the humor in what is essentially a very scary situation um, it's also the kind of thing that you get when you have friends bantering in the middle of a situation like this and a lot of the humor lies in you know again characters who recognize that they're in 
a situation which you know it's the kind of thing you would expect to see in a horror movie genre savvy characters um are something that we get in films like scream of course it's one of the you know it's also a horror comedy balance is primarily more the horror but there's a lot of humor in those films it's a very subtle thing um in well it's a subtle thing in, in getting it right the the whole self-referential nature of of scream uh in many ways helped revitalize horror which had gone through a bit of a slump and recognizing that these um tropes and and you know these these structures that we all became familiar with with horror and to some degree cost it its effectiveness uh is one of the things that that you know kevin williamson and and uh was able to do with his script there to really help you know revitalize the genre at a time it really needed it and this self-referential knowing experiences of the modern moviegoer um, play very much into the blackening's uh cast's experience with dealing with someone who's trying to kill them and essentially you know they're aware they're in the middle of nowhere in the cabin in the woods at the only authority figure that they have met uh, in in a you know in a horror setting is a white you know, uh, police officer and what that means in a horror setting if you're a black character. Uh, it's very clever and it's very well structured and the balance overall works pretty well between the mix of horror and comedy. Um, does every joke land? No, of course not. I don't think there's a comedy that ever quite pulls those off, although some of them hit pretty close. Uh, but overall, it's a very solid, well-structured horror film and a very solid, well-structured comedy. And they enter, you know, they're, they're twined together extremely well. Um, it definitely makes for a fun experience. Again, this is a film you really should check out in the theater with an audience because it will be, uh, if, if, if you're a fan of horror, if you're a fan of horror comedy, if you're a fan of comedies, and and if you're, uh, someone on the edge less of a horror fan um, than a horror comedy fan you know while there is definitely some violence in the film you're not looking at an extremely uh, ultra-violent movie uh, definitely a spoiler there I'm afraid but also <clears throat> fair warning you know it's it falls he more heavily on the side of, of the comedy having the stronger emphasis but again the horror under underpinnings are extremely solid it's it follows in many ways a lot of the standard horror structure but it also diverges in interesting ways um it is a film that if you are uncomfortable with a certain word yes folks the n-word features prominently but it also features in a way of you know, a, a word that is generally considered to be a slur being taken back um, by the folks that it is, you know, used negatively against. Um, and it is definitely part of a... Every group, whether it's culture or chess club 
or theater department or you know whether it's just different language a different culture we all have specific ways that we talk to each other and from an outside perspective that can be uncomfortable sometimes and one of the discussions that of course we get a, a lot these days is well if they can say it that that you know no i mean <laughs> um sometimes culturally sometimes you know in a society um would depending on on your history depending on on what you're really talking about uh, sometimes yes it is completely appropriate for one part to use a word and other parts shouldn't um and and very much here though it is an example of taking that back you know taking a slur and making it something that is is part of a particular cultural experience um but if you're uncomfortable with that you need to should be aware that it's there and it's there quite a bit um but it's also used in a way that is it's less uncomfortable because of the way that it's used amongst these group this group of friends um and how you feel about that you know that's that's going to be your own own decision um it's definitely something where you're like well you know if it makes you uncomfortable you should be aware that it's going to be there um and uh it, it definitely factors into some of the humor so but yeah, I, I, this feels a little bit, I feel very rambly today. My apologies, guys. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, there's a lot of the standard tropes here. There's a lot of the standard character descriptions. You know, there's, there's the, the girl who, who sleeps around. There's the nerdy friend. There's the gay friend. There's the, um, you know, the friend who's got the drugs. There's, you know, the ex-boyfriend. Again, using these, these shorthand. Uh, these shorthands to give you an idea who these characters are so that they can start enriching the character interactions by showing how these characters bounce off of each other and we've seen that stuff with horror all the time you know, you've got the jock and the and the pothead and the you know you the, you know, the cheerleader and all these different characters that you see in a lot of horror, you know, horror tropes the trope again tropes of horror recognizing what those tropes are and leaning into them and using them to help tell your story without turning into the uh the downside of tropes i mean tropes can be very entertaining uh and very very useful it's just a question of of uh how well they are used and whether or not you're just seeing the same old thing this frames it in a much more uh knowing way and in a way that is you know if you're familiar with horror there's references here you're gonna get uh if you're familiar with you know le leaving aside the the you know the core trope the black guy always dies first um, even if you didn't know that, you get that reference in the film that that's set up for you. You understand the context. And this is, again, looking at the script here, uh, Tracy Oliver and Dwayne Perkins um, uh, are the writers on this. And they do a really good job of setting up the things you have to know so that even if you didn't know them ahead of time, if you weren't familiar Again, coming back to 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 spades, it's such a prominent game referenced in the film. Um, and if you're not familiar, spades is a card game. 
one of the, the the underlying things is whether or not you know like i said whether or not you even know how to play the game uh, or you're good at the game and the cultural relevance that has even if you don't understand that coming into the film the film gives you the information you need to have to understand what the reference is and then it becomes because like i said it's become something that's far more universal than it is specific because there's always something like that there's always something within your particular group um where this is just kind of the thing that you do in your particular group um whether it's it's race or religion you know um the country you live in, the language you speak, there's specific things, um, but they again become universal um, if you just put the right context in. So a very solid film, a very well-crafted horror comedy, and one that, depending on the marketing, may have slipped past your radar, or if you are thinking, you know, it's targeted at a Black audience, Yes, it is, but it's also targeted at a general audience. Uh, I think if you if the various trailers that are out there, you can check out the mo the one that uh, I think that, I think it was the last trailer that was released. You know, find it on your various you know, YouTube kind of things, and and check that out. And you can see that they're if you're a horror fan, they're definitely not just targeting the black audience. They're targeting horror audiences and. The trailer gives you a general sense of, of the kind of comedy you're going to get. Um, but definitely worth checking out. Again, it's uh, a very well-crafted, solid horror film that is very funny. Um, even though, yeah, primarily it's going to be a comedy. Um, motivations for the characters are a lot more logical than a lot of 80s horror films. And the motivation of the villain is more complex than you would think for a kind of film like this and actually kind of goes with the underlying theme of, you know, the, what, what, um, let me rephrase that. It goes with the recurring theme uh, of, the the idea of being it comes back to that purity test um and uh, it works itself both in a comedic level and in a somewhat tragic one which frankly any good horror film should probably make you feel a touch uh sympathy with the villain except when it doesn't but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm I really was really impressed with this. I enjoyed it quite a bit. It was really funny, um, but also fo followed the um, structure of of a horror film. Um, in many ways, the generic structure of a horror film, uh, in in the ways that moved the story forward and allowed them to put a lot of of comedy around it, but also to develop characters and get what the film also manages to do aside from having a very clever story is have a really good cast uh, a lot of these folks you've seen on goodness various different uh, uh tv shows the whole thing came out actually of a short comedy film um tracy uh Dwayne perkins wrote a short script um 
based on or this was originally was a was a comedy short that they expanded into a, a film uh Dwayne Perkins also plays the gay best friend in the film in a very much big broad uh physical comedy you know very much exaggerations in terms but also playing in again to the tropes of, of this kind of character in a horror film but also some of the folks you encounter in real life if you if you have you know if you know more flamboyantly gay people but Grace Byers Jermaine Fowler Melvin Gregg, Ex Mayo, Dwayne Perkins, Antoinette Robertson, Cinqua Wallace, Jay Farrow, Yvonne Orgy, uh, um, uh, and Dietrich Bader. Dietrich Bader makes an appearance in this film playing Officer White. As you might imagine, Dietrich Bader, very funny guy, fits in very well. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is it's a lot less structured describing the film this way than if I got a had the chance to, to write out the review I wanted to write. Um, but very much um, worth checking out if you are a fan of horror comedies. So let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we will talk about horror comedies in general. Um, and uh, the... Uh, um, the wide range of the various kinds of, of horror comedy that are out there, some of which you are probably very familiar with, and some maybe a little less so. So, uh, yeah, when we come back from a break, we'll dive in to a little bit more of the horror comedy genre. Broadcasting from a device built by a teenage genius using leftover parts from an erector set, this is Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Hi, everyone. Jason Hunt here, inviting you to join us every Saturday morning for news. The week's headlines in science fiction, fantasy, horror, comic books, video games, plus Comic-Con updates and the weather and the occasional interview along the way. We call it Good Morning Multiverse. We hope you join us every Saturday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 Central, right here on Sci-Fi For Me TV. Oh my goodness, that, Jason, is probably, I think, the hardest question you're going to ask. Interviews with writers, filmmakers, artists, and actors. That's a good question, though. That's an interesting question. Question. That's a great question. Count on Sci-Fi for me to be there asking all of the questions. Um, it's another great question. These are all really good questions. Bringing you news and opinion from all over the web. Sci-Fi for me, delivering the multiverse since 2009. This was episode 616. This is the Marvel episode? Is that what that is? <laughs> Hi, folks. I'm Timothy Harvey. I'm not your normal host for the bunker. Um, what you would usually be expecting would be uh, Jason Hunt. He is away this episode, and this is, in fact, a pre-recorded episode um, because, of course, we've got Fourth um, of July holiday in here. And so, welcome. <laughs> live from the bunker um and i am timothy harvey and we're talking about um horror comedies on this episode uh but we also think it would like mm, let me try that again speaking coherently it's already been a long day but 
after you finish watching this episode, you should tune in and join us for our Wednesday night edition of H2O. Tuesday, of course, is our normal time for the show, but we are going to be moving it to Wednesday night because of the holiday. We're going to talk about Indiana Jones 5. People have thoughts. I have thoughts. Jason has thoughts. We hope that you'll tune in and hear what we have to say about the latest and final Indiana Jones film. So let's talk about horror comedy here for a minute. Of course, I've told you that you should check out The Blackening. I told you that, you know, it's fun. It's well-written. It, it hits all the right points for comedy and horror. But it is far from the only horror comedy out there. And again, like I said, the horror and comedy really do have that same, you know, setup, punchline, release structure, right? So you're watching the horror film and you've got, the character who is, for example, um, you know, the Halloween films where you've got our, you've got your, your teenagers and, and their Michael Myers is behind them and they don't know that they're there. And the music swells and they, then they're attacked and you scream. And then it's that moment where you come down from that, right? You, that, that, you know, <gasps> it's the same, it's the same beats as comedy, which is why horror and comedy can work together as well as they do. Now, there, there is some balancing work to be done. Certainly there are films that push it too far. I mean, you can look at the first scary movie is a very solid horror comedy. And yet as the series went on, it ended up being... It turned a lot more into... Um, a very watered down version of the idea. It became more of a general grab bag of horror. Um, the first, you know, first scary movie was very much a riff on Scream. And of course, Scream was in many ways a riff off, again, the that period of time when horror was kind of losing its, um, it was becoming very generic. Uh, and and interestingly enough, you have these things that come along which revitalize horror in ways that you wouldn't necessarily expect. Um, I'm not a fan of found footage. We talked about this before on, on H2O and, and other places, but there's no question that the Blair Witch Project revitalized horror at a time when it was very much in a slump. And it was the same thing for Scream. You know, there's it's very easy for studios to sit there and go, this is successful. And everybody suddenly makes the same movie. Um, horror began because again because it, often they have small budgets you can make a lot of them it's really easy for that sort of thing to become very watered down and you saw it in the 1980s with the the 80s slasher movies um, that became a whole sub-genre of horror and a lot of them felt very cookie cutter um, so it's a real it's a real challenge. Uh, and it's not just horror, of course, it's any genre. I think some people feel that way about superhero films right now. Uh, as prominent as they are, that sense that they have all become kind of the same. Um, they all very much, you know, horror, horror has gone through several different phases of that. But when you look at things like horror comedy, um, some of the stuff that has really survived, that has aged well, um, is, is the kind of stuff that, like many comedies has a many comedies that have aged well is while they might be in 
it might be referencing a specific time uh, in terms of, of cultural references, um, they aren't limited to that time. I think if you look at a film like, um, you go back and you look at some of the the horror comedies that really have impact. And of course, we're getting a, we're getting a sequel after all these years. You look at something like Beetlejuice, right? You know, you've got Michael Keaton very much playing an eccentric, weird character, but it is in fact got the same structure as a horror film. You've got the the couple who die and come back and they're haunting another couple. It's just played for laughs versus, um, and the, I'm sorry, haunting another family, not just another couple. Okay, forget Lydia. Uh, but it's, you know, if it wasn't a comedy, it very much could be a horror film. It's it's a very simple kind of thing. One of the One of the challenges for doing horror comedy is finding that balance between the two and what some of the most successful ones have done is they have built the horror foundation you know your premise is a horror story but it's how the characters react to the situation that they're in and the sort of ludicrous nature of Beetlejuice and the whole premise of the story is how those characters react. The the ridiculousness of, of being a ghost without an instruction manual on how to do what you're doing. Um, or, or people who are not reacting the way you want them to react um, when when you're trying to scare them out of the, of the house that you want them to leave. You know, it's it's the it's the how the characters react to what would be a scary situation. Um, you look at Shaun of the Dead, where it is. It's you know it's your standard zombie story, and there's moments of the visuals are of course exactly what you would expect to see in something like The Walking Dead or or Day of the Dead or Dawn of the Dead or whatever. You're getting that same kind of visual. But your main characters are exactly the wrong people to be the main characters in a zombie movie. And that is so it's, it's the situation that makes it really funny um, with these characters being in the zombie apocalypse and being the ones that you're following along. And there's a moment, um, if you've not seen Shaun of the Dead, come on, folks, you should see it. But there's a moment where you see the mayor image group to Sean's group. They, they cross paths and you get that sense that the other group is far more successful at this than Sean's group is um, because Sean's group is such a, is, is such a mess. And yet that's where the comedy lies. Um, the fact that they're uniquely unsuited for this and yet are the ones having to deal with it. And Consequently, they also do that nice little thing that you get in some well-crafted comedies is have the emotional core come through. Aside from the jokes, there's actually an emotional story that plays underneath it. And that's actually some of the strength that you can get for really any good horror film, any good comedy anyway. And, you know, something like Taylor, Tucker and Dale versus Evil, um, you know, you've got Alan Tudyk, uh, but you've got your premise is, you know, you've got your... You've got your hillbillies, right? Your stereotypical people out, you know, the the folks, uh, 
teenagers go out into the woods and they're attacked by the crazed locals and it's the same it, we that's been played for you know the hills have eyes and some of the other films like that but here and again folks if you haven't seen it you surely check it out um the premise is is that our hillbillies are just guys who are just happened this happens to be their life and these teenagers have come into the you know into their woods and apparently want to die uh because a series of comedic events occur that basically take where you are seeing the film from from the point of view of our hillbillies to the point of view of our teenagers which story is happening because you've got the teenagers who are thinking they're in a horror movie essentially and you've got tucker and dale who are like what is wrong with these kids because the perception again working against certain tropes recognizing that those tropes exist and playing against them um but also giving a very funny film because the situation is not what you expect it to be and your main characters are not who you expect them to be in the context because again we get this we get this shorthand where teenagers go out into the woods, they're running into hillbillies, the hillbillies are always going to be evil, except that that's not how things are in the real world anyway. But uh, in terms of playing against those tropes in horror, uh, Tucker and Dale versus Evil works extremely well. It also kind of slipped under the radar for a lot of people. Um, and it, that's a shame, but it's out there and you should definitely check that out. But if you want to go back to like the almost er example of the horror comedy, you know the uh, the one that so many people actually know, but don't necessarily think of it as a horror comedy. You go back to Young Frankenstein, Mel Brooks. Uh, this is if you look at the structure of Young Frankenstein, it is the plot to Frankenstein, Universal's Frankenstein, using the same sets, which is really fantastic. Um, but you know, it's you got your your mad scientist who brings back. You know, the, the, someone from the dead, it goes, the, the monster goes on a rampage, the villagers attack. I mean, it's got all the beats of, you know, Universal's Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein. And yet, it's incredibly funny because of how that situation is dealt with. Um, so you can still have those beats and yet have that kind of course. And of course, it's Mel Brooks and, and his incredible use of language. And of course, uh, Gene Wilder, um, of course, one of the great comedic stars of the 20th century. But, um, you know, the premise is very much a horror film premise. The standard horror film premise for just about every Frankenstein film, you know, all the way going back to James Whale. Um, and it's it's very, very easy to miss the fact that it is a horror film structure because it is so much a comedy. And it is very much the comedy aspect is is the primary aspect here. But again, you know, the universal horror, the universal monster films, while they are not necessarily scary to a modern audience, um, were very scary for the audiences of the time. Frankenstein scared people. You know, you go back to, and and James Whale's original Frankenstein is such a beautifully shot film and well-constructed film. Um, but of course, 
our tastes have changed and, and, and what's scary to a modern audience is not this what was scary back in the 1930s. So you're looking at uh, just changes in, in culture, but the idea, the, the story structure and, and, and the beats uh, that go with that structure uh, for Young Frankenstein are very much the original horror film structures for uh, Frankenstein and, and Bride of Frankenstein. So um, easy to forget when considering the level of, of comedy that's there. And then you've got Catherine Newton and Vince Vaughn in, in Freaky, which plays with a couple of different things. First of all, you get the whole Freaky Friday. If you are of an age, and there have been, and there have been a couple different generational versions of Freaky Friday, um, but you go back to, oh, goodness, 30 years or something um gotta be low. well the the body switch body switching has been happening in 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 genre comedies and and stuff that doesn't necessarily feel like genre teenage films um for decades and you know the idea it's often between like a, a parent and a child and you know the, we learn we i learned what the, my my mom is going through or my my dad is going through or my daughter or my son is going through and everybody's you know it's very funny very funny it's fish out of water stories um and then of course you put it in, in a horror setting where you've got vince's bond's serial killer uh switching places with Catherine newton's you know teenage girl and you get to see both <laughs> newton and vince vaughn um pretend to be the other person for most of the film which is considering how much vince vaughn built his career on doing you know films like the wedding crashers um and um these you know sort of not quite sex comedies but um comedies where his character is sort of the lovable scoundrel uh kind of character or you know kind of dodgy but you know fast talking and ultimately charming in the end kind of character and here very much you know you wouldn't think vince vaughn pretending he's a teenage girl um, would be something that would be as funny as it is and and giving you know Catherine Newton more or less being extremely you know trying to being menacing and again the 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 subverting of expectations with this sort of thing where you know you've got these characters who are the premise is inherently nightmarish you know you've you know, a serial killer has taken over your body and you are trapped in theirs and of course there are people who want to you know arrest that serial killer or you know kill that serial killer and nobody's going to believe your crazy story that you've had a you know body swap just nobody believes that um so the humor of course lies in the reaction to that sort of thing and that really i think ends up being one of the really strengths of 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 horror comedy is that it can build on both your expectations of what that horror film situation should be and that subversion of that you know um what we do in the shadows another example you know you've got your 
your vampires and your werewolves and all these creatures of the night that are are supposed to be so scary and the subversion is that they're kind of just ordinary and maybe even a little bit pathetic because they're not cool and we built up this premise this idea that vampires are sexy and cool and um and what we do in the shadow subverts that you know and yet you still have a character where you might see someone get you know one of your main characters kill somebody um because they're a vampire or they're a werewolf or whatever and it just turns that around and i think that one of the strengths ultimately of horror comedy is that not only does it entertain us but it subverts our expectations um or allows us to see something that is subverting our expectations um and uh laugh along with it um because you a lot of times you go into this stuff knowing what you're going to get right um but i mean there's there's a very solid you know list of these things if, if you're you know some some of you may not have seen anna in the apocalypse uh which um it's a christmas zombie movie musical that is actually very very clever and fun um and uh, if you're on your list you know good christmas horror movies that you can kind of watch with the whole family uh it's it's maybe a little more age appropriate for a younger horror viewer you know early teens um but it's something that is uh, very much you know the zombie apocalypse um except with you know songs <laughs> and again recognizing the kind of absurdity of the situation we're getting a uh, final cut which is the french uh remake of the Japanese film, is it Japanese film? Uh, One Cut of the Dead, uh, which also uh, subverts the concept of the zombie movie by taking you behind the scenes of making a zombie movie. Uh, and sort of, if you've ever been on a film set, you also get that extra layer of just the chaos of making a film. I've been on a few. And it is uh, it's very much a chaotic experience. Ready or not, uh, Samantha Samara Weaving. I always want to call her Samantha Weaving. Samara Weaving. Um, you know, she gets married and discovers that the family has a tradition that happens every wedding night when somebody marries into the family. And it's um, possibly fatal as she plays a game of hide and seek where the entire family is trying to murder her. Um, the premise is inherently a little bit ludicrous and yet <coughs> excuse me and yet the uh, the humor lies in the fact that these are not necessarily the most well equipped in terms of skill when it comes to hunting down their prey um, and it ends up being a, not only a situation where you know it's, it's insane that she's in this situation but her enemies are not the most effective. Where you go back to the 1980s and Heathers, often considered a black comedy, but it's also a movie about murdering people, which has horror elements. It's not always thought of. Uh, certainly, I think you wouldn't necessarily argue that it's horror, but at the same time, Silence of the Lambs is often considered horror, and it's really it's definitely got horror elements but it's a lot more of a crime drama uh, you know a, a detective thriller 
Um, and some folks look at films like uh, American Psycho um, as a horror comedy, a low satire. And depending on depending on how you look at that film, what you consider the story you're telling. Hello, Moira. Um, it's a uh, it's a satire on you know 80s and 90s consumer culture. But there's a lot of different ways of, of of looking at this stuff. I mean, certainly the you know you get successful things like the Child's Play series, right? You've got uh, you know there's a lot of humor inherent in the character of Chucky, um, and often it's very dark humor. Of course, you got the Nightmare on Elm Street films where there's been a lot of humor to the detriment of the series. Um, the while there is a lot to be said for you know robert england delivering really funny lines because he's really really good at it the actual scare factor of the nightmare on elm street films really went away uh the more he became a wisecracking character that's an that's an example of something we see a lot in horror sequelitis uh, there's quite a few of uh, great horror franchises um that uh, because the studio kept cranking out new ones because uh, you gotta keep, gotta keep that schedule. Um, it was very much a a case of diminishing returns. But so yeah, I mean, there's a there's a list of of short lists, not hardly the only ones out there. You can find all kinds of lists for horror comedies, most of which are available out there through your various streaming services. Get your digital media, you know, get get physical media. Let me let me rephrase that. Get physical media where you can, especially as as these. Uh, all these merging services have decided to start dropping stuff from their catalogs. If you're hoping to find things anymore, you may are gonna you're taking your chances. So get the get the DVDs and Blu-rays where you can, um, because some of the stuff is in fact disappearing. Um, but yeah, there's there's a lot here to pick up. And again, uh, go see the Blackening if you have the opportunity. Uh, it's still playing. Let's push it over 20, 20 million. Sure. Um, but it's it's definitely worth your time. And there's a lot of great horror comedies out there. If you are a fan of horror comedies, and of course, I didn't talk about anywhere near all of the ones that are, are out there for, for horror and comedy fans. If there's a favorite of yours, you know, by all means, let us know if there's uh, one you think just isn't funny or that I've talked about or, or you know, disagreed with an opinion. By all means, let me know. I'd love to hear it. Um, discussion is what we do here. So um, <clears throat> Jason will be back for the next episode. It's going to be an open line Friday on Friday. Of course, that's when open line Friday happens. Uh, but the regular, uh, he'll be returning for the regularly scheduled programming on uh, on Thursday. Um, and yeah, so, on our episode of H2O tonight, we again moved from Tuesday night because uh, of the holiday, the 4th of July holiday. We're talking about the latest Indiana Jones film. And uh, you know, the, the initial reviews out of Cannes were not necessarily the kindness. It's gotten a lot better reviews as time has gone by. It's it's Rotten Tomato scores, however you feel about the various scoring review scoring services that are out there have, have definitely gotten better uh and uh its box office is well there's a whole lot that's not doing what you would expect it to do for box office numbers i think you may have to 
if that continues, we may have to reassess what that means. And maybe perhaps studios need to stop spending quite so much money on their films. We've talked about that on the H2O podcast before, too. Um, those middle-sized movies. And we started to see that with streaming before. But now we're getting the streaming contraction. Because there's only so many eyeballs, folks. There's only so many eyeballs. Anyway, um, thank you for listening to me ramble. Um, I'm sure that you'll all be <laughs> welcoming Jason back with open arms. Now you've had to deal with me for a segment. But I appreciate you uh, listening and watching. Thank you so much. Uh, I had a lot of fun. And we'll see you on our next episode of a lot of different shows. But you'll see Jason on the next episode of Live from the Bunker. Thanks for watching, folks. This has been a presentation of SciFiForMe.com. Copyright 2023 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. You're listening to Sci-Fi For Me Radio.